Countrywide on ABC Radio. Support businesses are going to go to the wall just like dairy farmers will. We've seen the whole agricultural community come out. Once people leave communities, they don't. They generally don't return. Countrywide. Don't worry about me. Go and speak to your farmers. We're already losing businesses. Get out there and speak to your farmers and jump Countrywide, the politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. G'day, I'm Lucy Cooper and welcome to Countrywide. On Monday the 4th of September, a landmark trial begun in Australia. The case, a class action involving more than 800 Australians who've been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. They allege their cancer is linked to their exposure to Roundup, a broad-spectrum glyphosate-based herbicide between July 1976 and July 2022. So what's the aim of the trial? To determine if glyphosate, the key ingredient in Roundup, is carcinogenic to humans and causes non-Hodgkin lymphoma. If that is accepted by the court, the trial will then seek to determine whether the manufacturer, Monsanto, and its Australian division, Huntsman Chemical Company, were negligent for the risks posed by its products. If the applicants are successful, the trial could have significant regulatory implications in Australia. Roundup, the glyphosate product in question, continues to be sold in Australia. You could purchase it today at your local hardware store if you wanted to. And Monsanto's parent company, Bayer, insists Roundup is safe. So let's get a bit legal for a second and understand the importance of this trial. It's a landmark case, meaning it will be a legal decision that significantly impacts and changes the interpretation of the law and sets a precedent for future cases, aka we haven't seen this in Australia before. So a big deal and even more monumental when you think about how many people are involved. Over 800 Aussies make up this class action. Want a reminder on what a class action is? Well, think Erin Brockovich. It's where a lot of people who have suffered similar losses come together because they often can't afford to pursue a claim individually or struggle to take on the risks involved with pursuing a claim on their own. But in this trial, we haven't heard from all 800 individuals. And that's because in a class action, one person, known as the plaintiff or applicant, brings the claim on behalf of the wider group. By grouping claims together and pursuing them collectively, the overall value of the claim goes up, while the cost to each member goes down. The other notable legal part of this trial is that it's a judge-only trial, and this is for two reasons. One, the trial has a lot of complex issues of law, which are difficult for a jury to understand. And two, the case has had a lot of publicity, so by only having one judge, it means the decision will be less likely to be influenced by the events that happen outside of a courtroom. So in this class action, who is the lead plaintiff? Meet Kelvin McNichol. He's 40 and was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma in May 2018. He actually went into remission the following year, but it was revealed at the start of this trial that he'd been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma for a second time, only six weeks before the trial began. Mr McNichol worked for his family's vegetation management business in Queensland, spraying weeds on the side of highways and so on for effectively every day for 20 years. Mr McNichol was also exposed to two of Monsanto's Roundup products, Roundup Herbicide and Roundup Bioactive, throughout his childhood when he helped his father kill weeds on their property near Coffs Harbour in New South Wales. 
It was alleged he had direct contact with the products as they dripped or leaked onto his skin and clothes, as well as through mist, which would get onto his skin, into his eyes and onto his clothes as well. So what are the two arguments for the opposing sides now that we understand Mr McNichols' situation? Maurice Blackburn is running the class action. Here's one of their lead lawyers, Andrew Watson, to explain the intention of the trial. Well, in 2015, the International Agency for the Research on Cancer um, declared that glyphosate, which is the active ingredient of the uh, Roundup product uh, that's sold by Monsanto, was a probable human carcinogen. Uh, Since that time, Monsanto's behaved uh, like uh, many multinationals who hear uh, evidence uh, that they don't uh, like and that impacts on their profit, and and it's engaged effectively in a campaign of trying to uh, uh, create confusion about the science and uh, a campaign with regulators and others. Uh, But... Uh, What that led to is us initiating this proceeding some years ago uh, in order to obtain compensation for those people who had developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, as a result of their exposure to Roundup. Barrister Andrew Clements KC, who is representing Mr McNichol, is arguing that glyphosate and Roundup were carcinogenic to humans and could cause non-Hodgkin lymphoma through a number of ways. He argues that a body of epidemiological literature provides generally supportive evidence that exposure to glyphosate and glyphosate-based herbicides increases an individual's risk of developing non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So Monsanto's defence is similar to what we've seen with cases in the US, which is to focus on the reliability of scientific studies into glyphosate, Stay with me here because it can get quite detailed, but representing Monsanto, Barrister Stephen Finch SC said there isn't enough evidence to support answers that the applicant wants to the common questions. To establish glyphosate or glyphosate-based formulation is carcinogenic. Finch argued that if the applicants were able to prove that glyphosate-based herbicides might cause cancer they would still not have proved that the compound was a carcinogen. He said the applicant's own experts could be used to disprove their claims. It's worth noting that Mr McNichol and the other class action members would not have to prove which particular exposure or dose caused their cancer, citing lung cancer trials against tobacco companies where applicants did not have to prove the precise mechanism through which cigarettes cause cancer, but instead relied on the scientific evidence in the field. So why is glyphosate important? Why is it used and what on? According to the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority, glyphosate is a herbicide used to control weeds in agriculture, public and industrial areas and in home gardens. It's been registered for use in Australia for over 40 years and is the most widely used herbicide in the world. It's used on the majority of farms in Australia, from sugarcane to horticulture grains and oil seeds. Andrew Wiedemann, a Victorian farmer and research and development spokesperson with Grain Producers Australia, says the broad-spectrum weed killer has transformed grain growing in Australia and around the world, 
providing weed control without the need to cultivate and eliminating the horrid dust storms of the early 1980s. When it comes to glyphosate, obviously that's probably the world's choice in terms of weed control. You cast your mind back in 82, but uh, I first came home on the farm uh, in that era and the dust storms that were around then, and you look at the way agriculture is today, uh, and the way that's transformed and the way that, that we're growing, the amount of grain that we're growing, it's all on the back, essentially, of the use of glyphosate. Mr Wiedemann also explained why glyphosate is so important for farming in Australia. It's a particular product that is obviously non-residual in terms of its uh, persistence. So it's something that we use and, and have used quite successfully. It's essentially a salt. Uh, that's, uh, that's the product in the background of it. And so it is and has been proven uh, quite safe to use. And, uh, of course, there are plenty of people out there who, um, you know, think otherwise to that. But the reality is as a farmer that we're uh, using it and other farmers that are using it is an extremely important product in our farming systems. And, you know, we would essentially halve or perhaps even less than half the uh, amount of grain that would be produced across Australia and also the impact again, on uh, people even using it in their home gardens and other areas that have used it quite successfully for a very, very long time. And I feel will for quite a while yet um, because there is no other substitute for it globally. And, of course, people want to eat food. They don't want to starve. Glyphosate is most commonly used in no-till or minimum tillage systems. Tillage controls weed growth by ploughing and cultivating. But because glyphosate is a broad-spectrum weed killer... It means farmers aren't required to till. Crops and pastures are simply planted into soil with the previous crop's residues. No-till farming benefits include less soil erosion, reduced fuel and labour costs and greater conservation of water. Andrew Wiedemann said that with a lack of substitutes, farming today hinges on access to glyphosate. Look, in modern farming techniques today, absolutely, for no-till systems and minimum tillage, I mean... In the European Union, they're talking about going back and turning the plough again. So if you could imagine turning and ploughing up the country right across Australia, and particularly a lot of arid areas around very dry areas, it just wouldn't be sustainable. So we wouldn't be able to produce food uh, the way that we're doing it at the moment without a substitute for it. And look, certainly Paraquat, it's an S7, so it's a, a more volatile particular product, particularly for a user. Um, but in terms of its uh, longevity, we also need it because it provides the opportunity to be used in a rotational basis with glyphosate so we don't build up resistance to either product. So if glyphosate was to be banned in Australia, what would that actually mean? For backyard gardeners, it means no more quick fix for weeds. But what about those with much bigger backyards, farmers? All the benefits from no-till farming will lose those because... There is no alternative to glyphosate. I know that we've got, obviously, we've got other products on the market that we have used in the past and continue to use, but some of those are already banned. For example, Paraquat has already been banned in most jurisdictions around the world, but we still have it. But none of those alternatives will replace glyphosate as it is. So it is going to be having a big impact on our farming system, especially on no-till farming. And we should be thinking about what can we do to replace glyphosate in case it happens. It's not a panic situation, but it's something that we should be thinking about, at least in the short to medium term, to try and address some of the issues that people are going to have 
in other jurisdictions around the world when it's banned. That's Victorian-based crop scientist and consultant Harm Van Rees. He wants to raise awareness of just how important the chemical is. It's a really, it's, it's a huge issue for the industry. But all I'm trying to say is, well, I'm trying to raise the awareness how big an issue it is. We should be aware of these issues and start thinking about the long-term implications and how we can work with other nations where this is happening and other farming groups, but also in relation to what we communicate about current farming practices and all the benefits of no-till to the general populace. In response to claims from peak agricultural bodies that they are alarmed by attacks on glyphosate because it's an important toolbox for farming, lead lawyer running the class action at Morris Blackburn, Andrew Watson, said he won't apologise for putting health of humans first. Human health and the opportunity for people to work safely and to not be exposed to a cancer-inducing chemical uh, has to trump the expedience of a multinational's profit and the expedience of uh, the convenience that goes with the use of glyphosate. So, so you know, we make no apology for the fact that we are prioritising the health of humans above those expedients. But not all farmers feel this way. Some producers say they're keen to move away from the synthetic pesticides. Tammy Jonas is a livestock producer and butcher and the president of the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance. Coming from a food sovereignty and an agroecology perspective, we sort of reckon there needs to be a transition to a totally different way of farming. I do think there's a responsibility on all of us, but in particular governments, to show some leadership in how to transition farms to more biodiverse production methods using integrated pest management. You know, there are lots of tools in the organic farmers toolbox as well, even though some of those may be imperfect. You have broadacre organic farmers not using glyphosate. So we know it can be done. And I would say that we need to be making that transition rather rapidly, given the biodiversity loss and climate change from the production of of, um, agrochemicals as well. The class action represents over 800 Australians who believe glyphosate causes them or their loved ones non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Many more people across the country believe this as well. Matt Irison, a grazier near Hay in New South Wales, is one such person. He's done a lot of spot spraying using Roundup to control weeds and now he has an autoimmune disease that he thinks could be linked to the chemicals he used and several members of his family are sick or have died from various illnesses, including non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So we had two units going, you know, day after day for months, uh, into years, you know, tidying up country. And um, my cousin used to call my brother and I the the chemical brothers because we were using it so often. So that was a bit of a joke around town. He still uses Roundup when required, always trying to follow instructions. I did have uh, disposable overalls, um, gloves and a respirator at times. But then I I sort of found that if you had a breeze running away from you, try and spray and let the the spray go the other way. And it was just, if you're out there in 40 degree heat, it it became a bit unbearable wearing a respirator. I know... uh, Monsanto says that Roundup is safe, uh, but I've seen a few issues in our in our family, family and, in, and in the district that uh, makes me wonder a little bit. My brother-in-law passed away in 2015 uh, from uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, 
which is the one the court case uh, they're uh, presiding over at the moment. He sort of yeah, had bone marrow transplants and, and um, with his brother and unfortunately uh, passed away after about 12 years with the disease. Mr Arison has developed an immune disorder and has begun to wonder if there is a link to his ongoing use of Roundup. It's called ITP, first words idiopathic, which means um, they don't know the cause of it. But I will say one thing, when I went to the doctor in Hay, he said, have you been working with organophosphates and organochlorides, which are chemicals, as you know, and uh, it sort of makes me wonder how I developed ITP, I've still got it now. ITP, which Mr Irison has, is an autoimmune disease where the platelet levels in your blood is not at an optimum level, which can cause haemorrhaging. But it's not the only disease impacting Mr Irison and his family. And my brother's still alive, but he's, he's um, been diagnosed with a, a cancer on the spine called myeloma. In, in America, there's a family with three brothers that have all uh, contracted myeloma and they're, they're um, a little bit dubious that Roundup, I think, is, is the main concern. My brother was actually interviewed or, or asked, "What is there anything you think that may have you know, brought this on? Um, he said it could have been the water out here because we were sort of showering in, in water that was drainage water from the east uh, and put into our dams. Or he said uh, Roundup because... We were using that chemical quite extensively. My brother-in-law was using it a lot. Um, I mean, it's hard to know what's actually causing. I know a couple of other people, at least three other people out here that have got it, or two or three have passed away. There's some others still suffering it. So with this information about how farmers feel about glyphosate in Australia, what's happening around the rest of the world? Whilst the glyphosate trial was underway in Australia, an interesting development in Europe unfolded. The European Commission renewed the approved use of the weed killer glyphosate for 10 years. Previously, it had been given a one-year extension, which was set to expire in December of 2023, just last year. Leading up to the deadline, most people in the industry did not believe a renewal was likely. This is because of strong pressure from anti-glyphosate campaigners and the global claims that glyphosate is a health hazard. The decision followed an earlier assessment by the European Food Safety Authority, which found no critical areas of concern. However, there are new conditions and restrictions, such as maximum application rates. For Andrew Whitelaw from the market analyst company Episode 3, he wasn't actually surprised it had been renewed. Well, I don't think it's a major surprise that they continued the approval of it. I think it's a chemical that hasn't yet got any sort of replacements available yet. So I think they are going to keep it. Uh, I do think it's sort of interesting because they do have other policies on the way which will reduce the, uh, uh, the amount of pesticides, fertilisers used in Europe and increase the amount of organic farming, which sort of flies in the face of this because, well, they are going to be using less, which means they'll produce less. And if you look at Australia as a country... We import about 14 to 15% of our agricultural chemicals from Europe. The majority of them come from China, which we know in the past has been a problem in terms of supply chains. If Europe stops producing as much because they're not using as much locally, it will mean that we'll be far more reliant on China again on another agricultural product, which 
we've had issues with in the past with DAP, MAP and other sort of uh, fertilisers. The decision in Europe to renew glyphosate not just by a year but by a decade spoke volumes to those who consider glyphosate to be safe when used correctly. For many farmers in Australia, they say glyphosate allows for more sustainable practices to be carried out. So we've seen uh, the improvements with no-till and minimum-till farming practices because of the use of glyphosate. And it's also an industry where we've been um, you know, good stewards of chemical use. We've got a lot of training, chemical training that growers undertake. We've got a science-based regulator um, and there's, there's strong compliance with the product usage as well here in Australia. That's Shona Gavel, Chief Executive of Grain Growers, the national organisation representing Australian grain farmers. She wants to emphasise that farmers do use chemicals that are potentially unsafe, but only when they aren't used in the right way. It's really important that that chemicals are used according to label directions um, and requirements there. It's a little bit like when we've got our family pets at home. If we were to give a flea treatment and, um, you know, the chemicals that are used in that, we do it because we we love our our pets and want to keep them safe and, and secure. But if we were to take a chemical like that and use it, um, outside of the way that the label dictates, then it would it would be harmful. So that's it's the same approach when it comes to the use of chemicals on farm that growers uh, have training, chemical training, and they use it in compliance with the label. What much of the agricultural industry worries about when it comes to glyphosate and potential bans is that it would stem from a political decision rather than a scientifically based one. I know that the Australian uh, pesticides and veterinary medicine scientists, they've reviewed close to 4,800 peer-reviewed articles and data sets around glyphosate usage. So I think we, we have to trust the science. And I think when it comes to that community perception that, that we know that we've got an independent regulator there that is overseeing the chemicals that are used on Australian farms. So what does a country without glyphosate look like? Matthew Cossey is the chief executive of CropLife, a not-for-profit organisation which works to provide the plant science industry the freedom to responsibly operate, grow and support Australian farmers. He said, to his knowledge, only one country has ever banned glyphosate. They uh, banned uh, glyphosate, in fact, nearly all chemistry in Sri Lanka a couple of years ago. We saw a bizarre decision which is why it's so important to be vigilant about a good public policy around agriculture and that we make those decisions on science because they caused a massive disaster to their farming sector. They essentially caused a famine in their own country and about 12 months after making that decision, which went against all the expert, independent expert advice they got, they changed that decision. It should be noted that when Sri Lanka banned synthetic fertiliser and pesticide imports, this occurred practically overnight and contributed to what was already a dire economic situation in the country. So now we have a strong picture of the role of glyphosate and who uses it and potential impacts if it were to be banned. So let's take our minds back to the nine-week trial, which sought to determine if glyphosate, the key ingredient in Roundup, is carcinogenic to humans and therefore causes non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Class action lead lawyer Andrew Watson said he is confident they'll be able to persuade the judge and achieve a positive outcome for all 800 Aussies in the class action. Not everyone that's exposed to other carcinogens gets cancer. Not everyone who smokes a cigarette gets lung cancer. But that does not mean that there's not a proven association between smoking and lung cancer. And in the same way, uh, the 
evidence we say will establish that Roundup and its active ingredient glyphosate do cause non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So what is going on with the court case at the moment? Joining me to discuss is ABC Rural reporter Fiona Broom. Fiona, what are your key takeaways from the nine-week trial? Hi, Lucy. Well, I guess my sort of key takeaway is that this is an extremely complex issue. Um, it really comes down to a question of the science. And so the challenge is making sense of that science and then making a judgment based on what's been presented. And so for the average sort of punter listening into what's been presented at this nine-week trial so far, it's it's really just the barrage of um, scientific terms um, and what sort of appears at times to be almost contradictory science. So it really is quite a complicated um, and complex issue. Um, as you know, this is a trial, this is a, a landmark case. And so that means that it will be a legal decision that really significantly impacts and, and changes the interpretation of the law. Um, and will also really set a precedent um, for future cases and then potentially lead into how pesticides or this, this pesticide in particular is regulated in Australia. So when you were tuning into this trial, were the expert witnesses that both sides pulled in, um, were they just from Australia or did they reach out to other countries as well? Yeah, so they came from um, worldwide, really. There were uh, many North American scientists who were involved. There's there's quite a few cases in the States um, involving glyphosate that have or, or are going through the courts currently. So there were scientific witnesses um, from North America. There were also, I heard some from the United Kingdom um, as well as Australia. Uh, and there are trials um, across the world that are um, involving glyphosate or have involved glyphosate, and it is really an international issue. You know, of course, the, the European Union Commissioner extended the use of glyphosate for 10 years just a few weeks ago, um, so it really is an international question regarding glyphosate. And, I mean, it's just so common, like the product of Roundup. If I wanted to go into a hardware store, I could just purchase it off the shelf today if I wanted to. So it is widely used in Australia and therefore has been approved. But I wonder, you know, how are pesticides actually regulated in, in Australia? Yes, yeah, so there's a body called the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority, the APVMA, um, and, and that evaluates uh, and registers and regulates agricultural and veterinary chemicals um, right up to the point of sale. Um, but then the, the states and the territories are the ones that are responsible for the control of use. Um, so you in Queensland, Lucy, you'd have um, a body that regulates pesticides up there. Yeah. So we've got, well, we've got an act. So it's the Chemical Usage Agricultural and Veterinary Control Act of 1988. And I, I, as you said, every state and territory, I mean, what would Victoria have? Well, we were a few years behind you, actually. We've got the Agricultural and Veterinary Chemicals Control of Use Act of 1992. Um, and so the Commonwealth Government regulates the supply and sale of chemicals, but the Victorian government or the state governments regulate their use. Right. And so with all of this in mind, where are we at now with the case? Well, so, OK, if the, if the court accepts that glyphosate is a carcinogen, 
the court will then consider the question of negligence. So this, I mean, it's essentially a two two part trial. So the initial trial looked at whether Roundup products can cause cancer or non-Hodgkin lymphoma generally, but not whether it caused specific individuals' cases of non-Hodgkin lymphoma or cancer. Um, and it doesn't ask or answer the question of whether Monsanto acted negligently or otherwise broke the law. Those matters will be the subject of a further trial if the judge finds in favour of the applicant in the initial trial. Um, and so the court is returning for its final submissions in January. Um, it's unclear yet when a decision will be made following that. This has already been, you know, a multi-year process to get to this point. So I wouldn't expect that a resolution would be coming really any time soon after that. Nevertheless, it will be, yeah, as you said, landmark. And so when that decision comes, be incredibly significant for the way we move forward with the use of glyphosate in Australia, no doubt. Absolutely. I'm sure that agricultural bodies and farmers will be watching this eagerly. <laughs> 